single-handedly broke up my marriage. You're an awful person. You're 24 years old. Why would I listen to you? Why would you be giving therapy and advice to people who clearly need it? It doesn't make any sense, Ari. This is a horrible idea. You're listening to you're listening to unlicensed, 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 unlicensed therapy with Ari Mendes. Ari Mendes. I am with people, the less interesting the conversation is sometimes. <laughs> you think it'd be more interesting, but I'm like, we've already, we already know everything about each other and we've <laughs> yeah. talked about everything to certain friends. How do you find when you're interviewing people? Do you prefer them to be a close friend already? I, or do you um, prefer to be someone that you just find really interesting and you want to get to know? It's just funny. Like, no matter who it is, I just run out of steam at a certain point. And I'm <laughs> like, I just want to, like, not be so focused anymore <laughs> you know like my cognitive bandwidth is just only so is there any secret health product that you take before you interview someone <laughs> to make your cognitive bandwidth better my cognitive, coffee yeah i mean a little bit of coffee i find that if you drink too much there it's called like a u-shaped curve where a little bit is better than none but too much could be detrimental um, as well. So it's like finding that sweet spot. Too much, people are going to think you're on cocaine. Exactly. What about, do you find that same thing with cocaine? If you take a little bit of cocaine before a podcast? That's a good question. I should try it. I've never tried, <laughs> I've never, I've never actually tried cocaine. I feel like none of the health experts are talking about the benefits of cocaine. There probably are some. There's got to be some, yeah, right? Yeah, there are probably some. I mean, you know, there's obviously huge risk also associated with you'd have cocaine. to get it pure on the dark web you can't be getting yeah. street cocaine you have to get 90 percent pure cocoa exactly yeah i don't know i don't have any experience with that i'm i mean i'm interested in drugs i'm interested in like you know mdma and psilocybin mushrooms and things like that it, i'd be interested i don't i i bring up cocaine so now it sounds like i do cocaine a lot of drugs. <laughs> i've done cocaine big. three times in my life but um, you prefer crack. I prefer crystal <laughs> meth and, and heroin. I, sh I prefer to shoot up. I like needles. Most people <laughs> don't. I like them. But it'd be interesting to hear that perspective on drugs from like, I don't even know what to call you, a health nut, a nutritionist. What, what's your title? Yeah, somewhere in, in between. Health expert. Yeah, I call myself a health and science journalist, which is mm. essentially what I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not just a journalist. I don't care about politics or entertainment journalism or anything like that. I get a hint of politics in your oh, yeah. content <laughs> lately. <laughs> like you, I don't think you would outwardly even say. You've never said to me, "I'm a Republican or a Democrat or who you're voting for." And I, I have a feeling if I asked you, you'd be like, "I don't want to talk about that," but. I get a hint of what I think you are. Well, we can talk about it. Yeah. I'm. I do think. I, I do feel politically homeless. I, I'm. Not, I don't consider myself a Republican. I don't consider myself a Democrat. Um, I used to certainly be a lot more liberal. I will say that. Um, and I've become more moderate, more centrist um, over time, especially over the past year. I would say. Yeah. Uh, I. I feel. I mean. I'll say this. There's a picture of you on your social media with Dave Rubin. There it is. <laughs> there That's it. Is. it. I really respect Dave Rubin. Um, so smart. Yeah, he's so smart. I love him. He's a great guy. And he also, he is a guy who, I met Dave Rubin when he was at the Young Turks. And I, my- Were my, you on the Young Turks too? Or what was the thing that you were on? I would guest on the Young Turks. They had, okay. they used to have a, a bunch of panel shows that I would guest on. And the reason why I had even had that relationship with the Young Turks is because the Young Turks was on current TV towards the end of current TV. Current TV, for those who don't, who don't uh, know, it's a TV network that used to exist in the US that Al Gore co-founded. Wow. And I used to work for Current and I was one of the main on-camera you know, faces of the network. And, um, 
And, you know, I would... How did that come about to start with? Was it kind of Hollywood where you auditioned and you got it? Or was it... No. So I was an undergraduate at University of Miami, mm -hmm. double majoring in film and psychology. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do when I graduated school. I was always very much interested in nutrition and fitness and health. And so I started college pre-med, but I ended up pivoting because I realized that I just, you know, that I kind of saw... Were your intentions when you were in college, were you thinking, I'm going to be a doctor? I mean, I, I did want to be a doctor, yeah. And not because I, um, not because the, pr the profession was all that attractive to me necessarily. It was more that I was just, I've always been fascinated by like the body and nutrition and supplementation and things like that. So mm -hmm. I think for a little while I was like, sports medicine sounds cool just because it kind of bridged fitness, which is what I was interested in with more, you know, sort of more deeper sciencey stuff. Um, but really, I didn't. I didn't know what it was. Like, I didn't. I didn't have like a specialty in mind. I just knew right. that I was interested. Right. That in subject it. interested you, so I'll study yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that's where sort of the reality of like looking back at my ac academic career, kind of, you know, I realized that uh, I was never an A student. Like, I was actually, you know, I worked very hard to be a B student. <laughs> very hard. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I worked very hard to be a C student. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> straight by. Yeah, worked, it was it was difficult. Maybe I didn't work that hard, but I just, I just hated school. I was never interested in it. Yeah, I was interested in like what I was interested. Sure. in. Sure. And I was Certain like subjects. deeply, like obsessively interested in what you know what I was what I was interested in. But so is that why you ended up saying ah, I'm not going to be a doctor because you realize oh that's a lot of school yeah. and it's going to be really hard for me to do that. Yeah, and it's not to say that I wasn't passionate about it or that I, you know, in retrospect, wouldn't have been able to do it or anything like that. I just kind of realized that, um, you know, my happiness was not, it wasn't negotiable for me, like even at that age. And mm -hmm. I, I wanted to explore other sides of myself. Like I realized- You were ready to give up 10 years of your life to- Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. I knew that that's what you had to do. I saw that that, like, that was the writing in the sand if I wanted to take, to go that route. But I also- halfway through college realized something about myself that I hadn't previously realized that I was that I had artistic sensibilities that I was creative that I um, was social you know like I was in high school I was kind of a nerd um, and in college I went to school in Miami and you know Miami's a great place to, to live in you know especially when you're like flourishing as a young adult um, a lot of babes there a lot, a lot of, of babes. babes yeah and I just didn't want to like forsake that and go the hardcore academic route. And there have been times over my life over the past, you know, decade where I, um, you know, especially prior to what it is that I'm now doing, having become somewhat successful where I, you know, kind of thought about like that decision. But in retrospect, I'm happy that I that I pivoted. You know, everything makes perfect sense. To me, side. based off what you were saying, well, I don't know what kind of doctor I would be, but I was interested, interested in sports medicine. You're kind of doing that. Yeah. And you, I mean, I, I don't know how much money you make, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, you probably make more money than the average doctor now anyway. So you kind of want, you got the best of both worlds. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not in, I'm not in debt. Yeah. You don't, you don't owe a million dollars for student yeah. loans yeah. for medical school. Yeah. My dad's God. a doctor. He liked it. Hmm. He's retired now. He went to medical school in Mexico because he said it was just so competitive to get into American med medical schools, even yeah. back when he was doing it. Yeah. So he went to medical school in Guadalajara, Mexico, and then did his residency in Ohio and then worked at yeah, uh, it's, an American hospital. So maybe if you're going into a hospital right now, you don't even, you might even be getting a, a Mexican trained doctor. So 
I mean, not that there's anything that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I started to hear things like just based on my academic record that I would have to go to school in the Caribbean or something if I wanted to go to medical school, you know? Yeah, and I just like, go. I think that's kind of sad because there, there are a lot of people out there, creatives, artists who would make amazing doctors, if only given the chance, if only like they had different um, styles of med school that were catered to different learning styles. You know, mm -hmm. we all learn differently. Um, and education in general is not set up to cater to those individual differences. Right. Um, you know, and that's like a much larger problem that I'm not prepared to like. That, I, th like I think that, people but. are, are realizing that though. Now, I think people are realizing that the education system is pretty messed up. Mm -hmm. That these days you could learn almost everything on YouTube, which kind of goes to show you where our education system is at, like coders, all these new jobs that are coming in. You don't learn in our traditional school system. So it's kind of, changing but i don't know how it's going to change or where it'll be in 10 years from now yeah i definitely struggled i mean i was always in the honors program uh in the gifted program you know when doesn't I was, sound struggle to me i mean yeah, it was it was yeah well i mean i struggled to get good grades and i didn't get good grades i got like very mediocre grades and the grades that i got i worked you know it was like the classes that i was my, the, the pattern like if you look at my like my grade cards or whatever they were called um you know, the classes where I was like really passionate and I had a really good teacher, I would get, you know, A's. Mm -hmm. um, but then there were classes that were sometimes easier than those classes, but I just wasn't interested. Right. And I would get D's and that would bring, or I would fail them. And that would bring my entire average just like way down. So it was totally. a very uneven report card. Yeah. They had to make it interesting for you to want to do yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Or I had to be personally invested. That's kind of how my brain works. It's like a light switch. It's very binary. Like I'm either, you know, completely obsessed with, with a topic or I'm not interested at all. It's why I don't know anything about sports at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm not casual about anything in my life. You know. If yeah, I'm, I would say the same for me too. Love yeah, that. Yeah, hundred percent or zero. That's the way I do it. Hundred percent or zero. So, how did you go from college to the Young Turks? So when I gra so as an undergraduate, because I was double majoring in film and psychology, I had gravitated to documentary filmmaking, which. When I went to college, so I graduated 2005, and this was before my. This was like just at the beginning of i think like friendster was the social, the social media yeah. i remember friendster yeah i had a profile but i never really used it because i was a little too young for it i just yeah. made it because i, I was think, into computers yeah was it i guess yeah so friendster was was maybe before that was MySpace, even space right yeah it was yeah. before myspace maybe and maybe i don't even think friendster was around honestly when i was in school i don't i don't exactly remember. i don't think social media was like not a thing 2007 you said yeah 2007 was 2005 is when i graduated Okay, so that was MySpace was was out in mm -hmm. 2005, I think. Got it, okay. Yeah, there was MySpace during that time. So there was MySpace, but there was no YouTube. And right. if anybody remembers MySpace, digital video was not really a thing. Yeah. Like, it was like low res, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so it was at a very interesting time where suddenly, like, digital cameras had gotten cheap enough. Like, I don't know if you remember point-and-shoot cameras, but yeah. they, were, they were suddenly able to take really good video on mm -hmm. those cameras. And so I had a... I gravitated to documentary filmmaking because of the um, immediacy that that technology allowed in terms of storytelling. Um, you know, as a film student, you learn how to set lights up and, you know, do stuff with film and none of that stuff interested me. It was like too laborious, you know, and I just didn't, I wasn't really interested. Even though I was a big cinema file, I wasn't interested in like learning how to like shoot on film or anything like that. Um, and even like narrative film classes. Right, the, like, the barrier to entry of a documentary film was way lower. Was way lower because you just need a camera. Yeah, 
That's right. it. Yeah. So I gravitated to that. And then as an undergraduate, as part of an independent study, I made a film, uh, a little documentary film project about my life in Miami at the time, which in hindsight feels very self-indulgent to, <laughs> you know, to have made a film about my life in Miami. But it's what you knew. Yeah, it's what yeah, I knew. Document what you know. And I sent it to the executives that I heard about were building this net, this TV network called Current TV, which at the time didn't even, it had yet to even be named. But I saw this flyer in my, in the comm school at UM, University of Miami, um, that said that, you know, Al Gore is, is chairing this new company that's seeking to empower passionate storytellers to take back traditional media. This is before YouTube, again, yeah. like, just to remind you. So it's like, this was an incredible, it sounded amazing. Like, oh my God, how are young people going to- And Al Gore had a really popular documentary. Al Gore had a really popular documentary. He kind of had like a cool factor. Yeah. And also like young people gravitate towards like- They made fun of him on South Park a lot. They did, yeah. yes. Um, and I didn't know anything about politics back then either. You know, I still don't really. So, but, but nonetheless, I was really interested in media and I didn't know what the fuck else I was going to do post-graduation. So to me, that sounded like a, a dream job. And I like wanted it so badly that I applied for the job. So did thousands of other kids like around the U S yeah, I'm sure that was insanely competitive yeah, it was to insanely work for Al Gore. Yeah. It was insanely competitive, but that film that I made, I, after I had submitted all the requisite application components, I sent that film. I like emailed the inbox or whatever of the company on their website. Mm -hmm. Like it was very... Separately from the application. Separately from the, from the application, yeah. It was very, uh, you know, like mysterious. Like there was just like contact at currenttv.com or whatever right. it was called. I think it was Indie TV. At right, the time. and you're just, oh, I might as well try to email it, see what happens. Yeah, so I sent in this email. I was like, hey, I sent, my name is Max Lugavere. You know, I'm an undergraduate at University of Miami. I sent in the application, you know, but I'm making this film that I think really kind of showcases like who I am, my sensibilities, more than everything that I had just you know submitted. So can I send it in? Will you like look at it? Yeah. And they said, yeah, send it in. So I sent in this film. And um, actually, I did it with my best friend at the time at, at University of Miami. And based on that, that film, they hired me and my friend to jointly host the network together. So they moved us to LA. They, they paid to move us out. You must have been stoked no, right? i was stoked i was you graduate you're graduating college and you're like wow this al gore's network is paying for us to go to la and be on tv yeah you must have been top of the world at this yeah point, from right? one day to the next i was on national tv in a studio working with like hollywood professionals mm. and uh, there were other people on the network that were like cast but i felt like i had won like the lottery because right. i wasn't i wasn't cast right and i wasn't like you just sent, you just emailed a website yeah a little video you made not a little video yeah. i mean a project you made yeah that you, I'm sure you Stu were very project. proud of, yeah. but, but still, you, yeah. you made a video, you emailed it in, and now you have a job that people would kill for. Yeah, I was making, they, the first year I made $30,000, um, and- uh, so This was non-union. Non-union, yeah, yeah definitely non-union. <laughs> um, and I was on TV, you know, like working amongst other like Hollywood types, but I was like not jaded because I was, it's not like I was in Hollywood auditioning and failing for yeah, years. Yeah. You might have someone who's been there 10 years, gets a $30,000 job. You're like, yeah, of course I have a $30,000 job. I've been doing this 10 years, but you're like, this is awesome. This is awesome. Yeah. yeah I was yeah. so psyched. And I was living in this neighborhood, you know, I was living in West Hollywood on TV working for Al Gore. And I was like young and hungry and like on salary. And I was still like, in the, you know, at night I was still interested in like partying. So I was like going out like in Hollywood, you know, rubbing shoulders with like the young Hollywood crowd at the time, but on TV and, 
and with this mission, ultimately, that I felt was very, um, you know, like had like social impact at its core. You know, it wasn't just like the TV network itself. The TV mission. network itself. Yeah yeah. 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 And it was like something that I identified with because I was never interested in entertainment journalism or politics or anything like that. I somehow got to be a journalist on TV where I got to talk about whatever I wanted. You know, so sometimes it was like the environment. Sometimes it would be politics or whatever. Um, and I would learn about that, you know, as as I would go. But then I got to talk about health, you know, on occasion or technology. Now, you say whatever you wanted. Was it literally, okay, here's what we're talking about today, and you would come in with the subject? Or did the network say, okay, today we're talking about, you have to come up with a piece on health or so, you have yeah. to come up with a piece on politics? Well, the network was basically built on these short-form documentaries uh, that they called pods. So it was like kind of, it was a unique thing where there were no shows on the network. They had these like music video length Music video sized short documentaries. Four minute documentaries. Four minute documentaries because yeah. they were they went into it with the mentality that young people have very short attention spans. True. Let's like tell a complete story in they four minutes. They were the first rendition of Vine. Pretty much. TikTok. Yeah. That's, it was super yeah. ahead of its or time. Or YouTube. Yeah. 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 It was super ahead of its time. Um, but that's exactly it. And and so I was like kind of a VJ where instead of talking about music videos, I was there in, you know, doing what, what we call raps, like doing, you know, intros and outros for each of these short documentaries. Yeah, so you didn't make the documentaries at this time. You were the host. So you would cut to I was the host. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, but then I did get to make some of them mm -hmm. as well. And, uh, you know, that you, I would have to go sort of through like the pitch process. I would have to pitch the idea to my higher ups. Mm -hmm. But then I would get this amazing team to work with at my disposal. So it allowed me an amazing opportunity to get to shine a light on things that I, you know, that I wanted to bring attention to. So when you, they knew you obviously because you were the host. Yep. Whereas I imagine the people, were the other people making documentaries, was that their full-time job making documentaries for that show? Or were they just film, independent filmmakers kind of, they do that documentary, then they're on to the next, whatever they're doing. Independent filmmakers. I mean, the, the network had a staff, you know, had, had like, there was a, it was a company. Um, and we had on staff producers and predators, which are like producer editors, you know, it was very like cost effective way to do it. Right. But, um, but no, the network basically uh, pioneered citizen journalism. So anybody around the world could submit one of these short form documentaries and end up on TV. And a lot of these people were independent filmmakers, you know, mm -hmm. not all, not all of them were successful, but basically the network, the whole mantra of the network was we're going to empower citizen storytellers seizing the, you know, like capitalizing on the fact that technology is now so cheap and, you know, anybody right. can now have a laptop that's powerful enough to have editing software on it and, and whatever. I mean, look, now we have iMovie on our iPhones, right? Like you can mm -hmm. literally make a movie oh, on yeah. your iPhone. So yeah, yeah. Tangerine was shot on the iPhone. That, that was, was such a good film. Yeah, oh great film. So when you were pitching these move these ideas, they knew you. So I imagine it would be awkward if they rejected you. Did you get them? Did you get a bunch of rejections as well for your short form documentaries? Or were they like, yeah, go for it? Um, I didn't get that many rejections. There were definitely like some editorial directions where, um, you know, there were there would occasionally be sound bites that I would want to put in that the, you know, the higher ups would say, no, we got to cut that out. But I actually ended up learning a lot about, um, you know, how to create good, compelling content over the course of that process. Like, I'll just give you an example. Back when I first started, I thought that, you know, you got to like, you want to make yourself look cool, right? If you mm -hmm. make yourself look cool, <laughs> the audience is going to think you're cool, mm -hmm. right? But actually, that's not the case. If you are self-deprecating and honest and authentic and you fuck up every now and then, you know, like you don't, you, you shouldn't like make an effort to make yourself look cool. Right. You know, 
But like people want to be in on it rather than observing it. They want to feel like they're part of it. Yeah. In like a sense. if you're authentic, then you're going to naturally appear cool. But any effort that you make to be cool is going to end up smacking you in the face, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I learned, you know, I learned that like, uh, you know, I would like want to put in clips that made me look cool or seem, you know, and these are all the things that you learn when you're, you're like, like, let's try that. Food. Let's do that same take, but I'm going to take off my shirt. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just stupid things like that. So there were a lot of those kinds of moments. Um, and, uh, yeah, what you learn is ultimately, um, and I know you know this as the host of a successful podcast, like ultimately you have to be, you're in the, you want to be always in the service of the audience. You know, you have, when you have somebody's attention, that's a really great thing. You know, it's a privilege, it's an honor. And so you got to kind of like honor that. Like you've always got to be adding value. Right. Um, and if you're just there trying to make yourself look cool, you're going to look like a douche, <laughs> you know? One hundred percent. So when you would make these little pieces, you were also hosting them. So you would say, and I made a, a piece today. We're going to go check out yeah. a little documentary I made. Did you get uh, pay bonuses for making that? Short film no, at all? definitely it, not. So that was purely out of passion then? Yeah, purely out of passion. I didn't have a quota or anything like that. Um, I was every day on TV, like, doing those raps, those host raps. Did you have to memorize lines, or was there a teleprompter? Teleprompter. Got it. So yeah. you just came in, we're doing this, and it wasn't live, so you could do as many takes as you needed to get the rap. Right. It was, like, yeah. live to tape, like you guys, mm-hmm. you know, like, we tape you know, podcasts. There's mm-hmm. like no editing, but, um, but yeah. And I got to write, I got to work with writers. It's really an amazing, it was like grad school, but instead of going into debt, you know, for <laughs> you it. You got a little money. I got a little bit of money. Yeah. yeah. So how long do you do that for? I did that for probably six years. And okay. So in that process, that's where you were on a bunch of their other shows and you met Dave Rubin and, yeah. and other various characters that were. Well, that. so f- about five years in current realized that, well, so five years in you like, or sometime within that time frame, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter came about and ultimately eclipsed what the network sought to do. You know, why were people gonna submit content to current TV which had X number of viewers, very limited number of viewers, mm-hmm. when they could just put it on, li- on YouTube and see it go viral right? and achieve fame that way. You know, nobody was getting famous by being on current TV. I was on it for six years and I didn't leave it famous at all. And when YouTube first came out, correct me if I'm wrong, like now, these other sources, like if there was a current TV now, they would have their own YouTube channel and they'd be putting their own content on there. Exactly. But in the beginning, they were kind of fighting YouTube. And they're like, well, no, we're on TV. We're not going to be on YouTube. Exactly. It was like yeah. sort of competitive and YouTube ended up kicking currents. But, you know, but uh, I think sometime there was a brief period where current was like pivoting and it tried to go a more traditional model where it would have shows. And so it brought on the Young Turks, which was a, which was a, very left-leaning YouTube channel, news and information channel that, you know, Current was actually never political. It wasn't a very left-leaning channel, even though Al Gore owned it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't even I didn't even know at the time that the Young Turks was left-leaning. I'm not into. I'm, when I say that I'm not into politics, like yeah, you're not into. Politics. I'm really not. Like yeah, I don't. You're just you a know, guy, so yeah. you're gonna know a little bit about it because it's consumed the world right now. Yeah, but it's not your thing. Well, that's one of the things that I'm like. You know, I mean, the fact that. Look, Trump was very polarizing, right? But he did get a lot of people interested in politics, yeah. for better or worse, that mm-hmm. weren't previously interested in politics. 100%. And so the fact that we can all kind of now speak the same language and have like a, what hopefully I think can be a meaningful conversation about it, I mean, that's one of the silver linings, I think, you know, of all this. Yeah, or 
you could say on the downside, now there's a lot of stupid people who have big opinions. That's a good well, point, that, too. That yeah. might be better off just not knowing anything about politics. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe I'm one of those idiots. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm thinking of young Tinder babes for me Got who it. put in their bio, if you think this way, swipe left. Yeah. I'm like, hey, well, just don't say anything. Dude, this you're going to love the, the place. I, I signed up for Hinge recently, and uh -huh. um, I put, so on Hinge, one of the prompts is like, it's like, it starts out, you should not go out with me if dot, 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 and you fill in the blank. I put, if you are a virtue signaling social justice warrior. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, I think, yeah. I thought that was, it's like weeding out all the kinds of people that I don't want to have to interact with, you know? That's, hey, that, see, I give you props for putting that filter in because I'll just pretend like I'm okay with that <laughs> just to meet them. Maybe I'm like, oh, maybe they're great besides that, but no, I should just be pickier. Just for the lols. I get it. I'm, and I'm also, uh, it's cool that you're on Hinge because in my mind, you would never, you're a famous person. Why would you need Hinge? You could probably just date whoever you want. Uh, date movie stars. I mean, get out and you probably go out and get coffee all the time. I, well, I'm on the, I'm on Raya. Do you know Raya? Yeah, yeah. Um, and Raya is the worst. Raya's, <laughs> Raya's terrible. Yeah, Raya is wannabe models and actresses. Yeah, and just, it's garbage. And nobody's, nobody's on there to date. Um, people are on there cause it's like a, you know, a, apparently a status thing. I don't know, but I signed up and I have a free account. So I just never like, can't, you know, closed it. But I think the cool thing about hinge and I think like online dating, look, say, you know, say what you want about it. But right now it's like, especially living in LA, LA is a horrible place for if you're single right now, you know? Yeah. LA is the worst. It's just not, it always feels like I can meet, I don't know if it's something about being on the road. But when I'm on the road, I'm like, it seems easier to meet people anywhere besides L.A. Well, because you're also like a superstar when you're on the road, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, maybe that's what it is. I mean, at least in my head, like you're touring, you know, you've got groupies and stuff. I'm like a super clown on the <laughs> road. I'm a paid clown. Paid clown. So you went from the Young Turks, but you weren't on the Young Turks. You I was not. You made guest appearances, guest appearances. on their television yeah. version of the Young Turks. Yeah, and I didn't know, you know, I mean, probably back then I had like, you know, more liberal ideals. Although it's not that my thinking has changed. It's that what it means to be liberal has changed. True. And that's what Dave Rubin talks about. Right. And that's why I right. love him He would him call so himself a, a classic, what's he call himself? A classic liberal or something like that? Classical liberal. Or, yeah, I classical, forget the term he uses, yeah, yeah. but but yeah, it's, it's essentially along the lines of, yeah, it's it changed quite a bit. Yeah. It used to be about freedom and yeah. and now it's just it's just into this it's radicalized did you feel the pressure that current was going to go out of business and you need to find your next thing as it was going like the last year you were there were you like i need to find something else this yeah is under. yeah i didn't know what i was going to do and um i signed with caa and they put me up for a bunch of big projects none of which ultimately panned out and i went through a period of like complete career like i felt like my career was in a nosedive and i was in my late 20s you know, so I, I was starting to like have like very uh, like I like anxiety about it, a lot of anxiety, but like really bad. Like, you know, I was in my late 20s and I was, you know, I started to like think of myself as being basically unemployable because I had been a TV host for all these years, you know, and now like I didn't have any, you know, like other other resume other, other things on your resume well things that i want yeah like i mean i knew how to edit you know but i didn't want to be an editor like i right. knew that i didn't want to be an editor i 
didn't really want to be a producer. I didn't want to go into politics. I didn't want to go into entertainment journalism. Um, I was interested in health, like back, which is what got me interested in, in you know, in, in that pre-med track to begin with in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was interested in music, you know, which was sort of a side, but... Did I you make music or you mostly you were just a music fan or No, I make your... I make music. Oh, you make music. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. As a as a side. I know I've seen you play guitar yeah. and stuff like that, but we as that way when you say make music, was it stuff on the guitar or you some for some reason when I think the words making music, now I just picture like DJs yeah. and making beats. But when you say you make you're into music and you make music, is it more, you know, acoustic rock or what kind of Yes. Gotcha. But I never had the um, like the grit or the like the constitution to be able to make it in the music industry. No, oh, also, man. and I also hadn't been doing it long enough where I felt like I was really good enough. You know, like I wonder what's more competitive, making it in the music industry or making it in the acting industry. They're both so yeah. insanely. I have friends that are that are a thousand times more that have been doing it way longer than me. You know, that are. I mean, I don't. You know. Ta- more talented, just more skilled, whatever, and they're 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 like struggling, you right? Know, especially today. Yeah, buddy of mine went to college. He's been in a band since college, so twelve years now. They're really good, in my opinion, and they all have day jobs. Yeah, so it's, it's it's, it's screwed up. Um, I didn't even I didn't give it like uh you know I wasn't I never knew I never thought that it was going to be something that I was going to do full time. Essentially, like when I when I had a, the full time job at Current, I would moonlight as a singer songwriter and I would play gigs in LA for not just for fun. Like I got, I really got a lot out of it. Um, but I had the cushion of having a salary, you know, and my day job was a really cool day job Mm -hmm. that would kind of cross promote the fact that I was also doing music. But once that rug was sort of pulled out from beneath my feet, you know, was it like, you know, I would, I would think to myself, like, am I really going to go for it as a singer songwriter or, you know, am I going to, find something else that's like really going to like pay my bills, you know? And I didn't know what to do. So I, there was a period where like career wise, I was, you know, I in limbo. was in total limbo. And ultimately the agency that I had signed with dropped me. And uh, because once you got dropped, once current TV went under, they weren't getting their 10% of anything. Well, they weren't getting, why? they weren't getting 10% of my salary at current TV. Cause I had gotten that by myself, right. Mm-hmm. As an undergraduate, but they weren't able to book me any other, any other gigs. God, so like we tried, we went for a year. Yeah. You didn't get anything. You exactly. got to move on. That's exactly what yeah. it was like. Yeah, Harsh. and Hollywood, when that, baby. Yeah, and when that happened, like I was probably that was like the I had the worst career depression I've ever had in my life. Like during this that was period. your low point. That was That's my low your point. Dull point. In, and in, you were how old at in this like point? the true Hollywood story? Twenty eight, twenty nine. I was like twenty eight, twenty nine, yeah. probably around thirty at the 30, time. Yeah. yeah, not knowing what I was going to do. Um, really, sort of uh, thinking hard about whether or not I should go back to school and like to go the medical school route. Um, oh, so you were thinking, you were, you were signed with CA, they drop you. Yeah. The current TV is done. You're thinking, maybe I go back to school and I move out of, like, LA is done. Like, the LA dream's over. Yes, 100%. I and was you've like, been doing it, though, at this point, six years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, LA was my home. Mm-hmm. I knew the, I spoke the language of LA. I loved mm-hmm. this city. Um, but I wasn't an actor. Right. Right? I wasn't, like, really making it as a musician, nor was it my intent to do so. And, uh, and as a host, like, by the way, that, that's a, that, that job of being a host is something that existed in, you know, maybe 2005, 2006, but doesn't exist anymore. There was it's a, very small. And now to be a host, you basically got to have, uh, tons of hosting credits or, or famous. They're or, not, yeah. Or yeah. like, 
or Ryan you know, Seacrest is like one of four hosts. You know? Mario Lopez, yeah, Ryan yeah. Seacrest. You can name the other Nick Cannon. Yeah. Like, you know, the people who are getting hired to host shows are usually there. The, sh the shows are built around those people, and those people are experts in whatever it is that the show is about. Right. Right. So, like, if there's going to be a health show, usually it's like somebody who has a name in the world of health. Mm -hmm. Dr. Gonna, Drew. Dr. Drew. Or if it's a cooking show, it's a chef or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like it became. I remember the language that my agent used at the time, like when she dropped me, she was, she was such a cunt, but <laughs> she was, uh, she said- What what she's up to now, she's still there. Oh God. She said, it's a, you know, she signed me as a host, but then, you know, over the course of that year, it's like, she's like, sorry, Max, it's an expert driven market now. You know, you gotta have like an expertise. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm interested in health, you know, and at that point, she laughed at me pretty much because I'm not, you know, you have I'm not no a back, doctor. you have no a formal background in health. You're right. like, I have an undergraduate degree in yeah in health, and right. she's like, ha ha, yeah, exactly. That's cute, Max. Yeah, <laughs> and so imagine all that's happening, right? Where like I'm having like crazy existential thoughts, super depressed, you know, like just really negative self talk, um, and that's not something that I'm even prone to, you know, but. Uh, but it, at the time, I was, like, very down on myself, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And then in tandem with that, my mom— What year is this? By the, so this is, like, 2000, uh, This is, like, 2012? 2011. Yeah, yeah. 2011, 2012. Yeah, mm -hmm. around, that, around that period. Um, probably 2000, 2010 to 2012, somewhere, mm -hmm. somewhere in there. Um, and— uh, and so it was like that exact moment where things were going so wrong, you know, in my in my professional life, that in my personal life, um, things were, you know, there was like you were like, what what else could possibly go wrong at this point? And that's when my mom got really sick, and uh, and you know, my mom is somebody who I've always, you know I was always the closest with. I'm the firstborn in my son, you know. Very, very small Jewish family, like, you know, Jewish boys very close to their mothers. You know, it's like the stereotype. Most families. Not Most me. families. No. Okay. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I was kind of a I was kind of a mama's boy. Like my mom was very protective and um, you know, very, very small family. And uh and she just loved me and my brother so much. And um and and yeah, she it was about 2011 when uh, she was diagnosed for the first time with a neurodegenerative condition. You know, she was she started to complain to me about brain fog and um, all this stuff that I had no framework of understanding. You know, nobody in, right. my, in my family tree had ever had any kind of dementia or anything like that. But ultimately, I, I realized that I had to kind of step in and and, and see for myself, figure out what was going on. Um, and I started going to doctor's appointments with her. And I ultimately, because her symptoms were so atypical, we ended up at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. And she was diagnosed there with uh, a condition that's sort of like having Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease at the same time. Wow. And yeah, so that was, that was a pretty difficult time for me. So I've never, my parents luckily are both still healthy. Um, but I imagine when you're going through this kind of career depression separately, then your mom gets really sick. Was it almost, uh, did it take away where you're like, okay, who cares about my career stuff? Did it almost help with that? Because you're like, I'm worrying about my mom right now. Or was it just double down? My life is going down the shitter. Just going down the shitter? Yeah. That's a really good question. It did 
relieve some of the anxiety that I had about my career because it really kind of put things into perspective for right. me, you know? Yeah, you're like, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Family it, first. Yeah, so it, it was, I guess, helpful in that sense. Um, and, it, and it made my priorities very clear. Um, I packed up my LA life, which was very hard to do. I was, you know, I mean, I, I had like an on and off relationship here in LA, but with a girl that I loved. And mm -hmm. um, I basically said, you know, I had to like say goodbye to that situation. Uh, I, you know, the, 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 the dream that I had of like, of, you know, carrying forth the torch and like being on TV again and, mm -hmm. you know, do it like it almost felt like I had wasted six years of my life at that point because I wasn't able to transition that into anything right else. and it paid but you weren't rich off of it I so paid and just, I wasn't rich and I wasn't yeah. famous yeah not that I want to be famous right but it's like I had nothing to fall back on so I so I've only known you since you've had like a, a social media following on this podcast yeah. at this time social media obviously wasn't as big as it is now but you had been on TV for six years social media was out how many just out of here how many followers did you have on Instagram I mean, or something. Very few. During this. Very few, yeah. 2012 I mean, time. My, my Instagram account was probably, you know, I probably had like 3,000, two, two or 3,000. So like... Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. Followers. Just like a base... I was just like a normal guy on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, my Twitter account, I had maybe like 10,000. Got it. Um, and it was verified mm -hmm. on Twitter, which that would, that would ultimately come in handy. Um you know, later on in the, in the story, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I kind of had had this quasi public figure status. Mm -hmm. Um, like I had credibility from my time as a journalist, but I just didn't have a job and I didn't have a, like, I didn't know where to go from there. You know, like right. I didn't want to write articles for the daily beast. You know, I didn't want to be that kind of journalist. I didn't care about, politics, as I said, you know, any, like any of that stuff. So it, there was really, I yeah, you were in a weird place. I was yeah. in a weird place. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I had like a blog. Somebody gave me blogger credentials on psychology today, which I thought was really cool. I was like, oh, cool. I can like write about science and stuff like that. And then I started curating things that I found interesting, um, on social media. And because my mom got sick, um, I basically dedicated myself. So I packed up my stuff in LA and I moved back to New York to live with my mom. And I was about 30 at the time. And I ceased to be interested in appeasing my agents. I didn't know what I was going to do professionally. I just wanted to help my mom and to see what, what it was I could learn about her condition to potentially help her from the standpoint of nutrition and lifestyle, because those are things that I'd, I'd always been passionate about. And so you're like, let me look into some just natural remedies that could yeah. possibly help with this right. brain fog, dementia yeah. thing that my mom has. Yes. But because I had a background in journalism and because I had a lifelong sort of passion for fitness and, and nutrition, I knew where to look. Like I knew not to be swayed by the pseudoscience and the, you know, the crazy claims that you find on social media when you're scared and you're Googling a condition that you'd never heard of. You know, I had a, I had sort of a, a scientist's. Um, perspective on things. I was very analytical. I was very skeptical. Um, I knew what questions to ask. I knew, you know, I came from a place of not, of knowing how little I knew, you know? Right. You knew how to investigate something yeah, right. without getting suckered into suckered some into, Facebook yeah. ad. Yeah. I was like, exactly. buy this dick pill. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and so that, that literally like became my life's mission, you know, at that point was to figure out what could be done to help my mom and what could be done to p potentially prevent it from 
happening to myself. Because one thing that I learned that was pretty shocking, um, but but thankfully I learned it very, I you know discovered it very early on, is that when looking at the most common forms of dementia, changes begin in the brain decades before the first symptom. Wow. Um, 20, 30 years, you know, by some no, metrics. I'm even 40. Yeah, and if you take 30 years away from my mom's age at the time, my mom was 58, you know, you get 28. So mm -hmm. I was like, oh shit, this is actually something that like I need to think about in myself. Like I value my own cognitive ability. My, you know, I'm like a very creative person. You know, I'm, I'm very passionate. I'm very curious. Like, you know, if there's anything, any steps that I could be taking today that are going to help me, you know, increase my odds that I'm not going to have to deal with what it is that my mom has. I'm going to do that. Do you know? I'm going to take those steps. So I just started like reading, but like relentlessly, like yeah, day obsessing. and night, obsessing, like I do with things that I'm interested in, mm -hmm. right? Because suddenly I have like a dog in the fight. So it went from like being being passionate about fitness and nutrition, you know, from one day to the next, I'm like fixated on brain health. And, and then all of a sudden, you're an expert on brain health. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't call myself an expert, sure. but but I, you know. It's been at this point about 10 years of like just religiously like, you know, researching and reading and consuming and questioning and asking and, you know, I've, uh, I've become close friends and colleagues with some of the premier researchers in this space, you know, which is very a niche space, but, um, but this whole like sort of, you know, dementia prevention. It's niche, but it's growing. I mean, it's there's niche, it's growing, yeah. health food stores, there's yeah. podcasts, there's shows, it's Pretty big. It's yeah. Not that niche. Yeah. Um, and at some point, I got, you know, so ba so basically to like close the circle, I got invited. I started putting out content on social media. I started to see right away that um, I was filling a need for people, you know, that people were not really getting this information in one sort of place. And I also realized that I had an aptitude for it, for sort of, you know, reading and assimilating and then spitting back out this, the, you know, this, the science that I was researching in a way that was, uh, you know, that had like a tinge of optimism that was exciting and, 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 and made the science compelling, but wasn't like over the top, you know, borderline irresponsible with the messaging, you know, like being responsible with the messaging and accurate was always something that I was very passionate about because I, because I always kind of, um, knew that at the other end, like on the other screen, receiving what it was that I was putting out could be somebody like my mom who could be sick, you know, and could be, you know, who, who I could be like misleading. And I didn't mm -hmm. want to ever do that with anybody, you know? Right. You're not making grandiose promises. Hey, right. follow me and yeah. you're going to have a six pack and you're not going to get cancer ever. Definitely not. No. Yeah. Like my experience with my mom honed me in a very, in a very particular way. And Ultimately, um, I got an email. The Dr. Oz show reached out to me, and they wanted me to come on and talk about my work, and I did. And I was, you know, I was pretty nervous, but I knew in in my back pocket I had all those years of being on TV, mm -hmm. and that like, you know, it had been like ten years since I had been in front of a camera. But I just knew that like, uh, you know, that I had done the homework at that point. But there was ten years since that. Since like current, you know. Since current, got it. Okay. Yeah. So it was a big gap. Yeah. So there was like a big gap. So, but what were you doing to keep yourself afloat during all this time then, if there was 10 years? It, actually, it wasn't 10 years. It was... Or, or even five years. Yeah. Even if it, if it was five years, what were you doing... To, to keep myself afloat? Uh, for money, did you just have savings that you were kind of burning through? I had some savings. Did you have to get a day job? Yeah. I mean, I... No, I mean, I had dramatically cut my costs. Mm -hmm. So I was living at home in my mom's house. And where is that? In, uh, in New York. In New York, okay. 
I was illegally Airbnb an apartment oh, I did in that. LA, still in LA. So I, I was did making that some, for a few years. Yeah. yeah. So I was like making some passive income on that. Uh-huh. I also, while I was at Current, I was able to put, you know, from whatever, whenever I would make bonus cash, I would like invest it like in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would like, I was like selling some of those stocks and I was okay. like living off of that and uh-huh. my savings. I, I'm, I'm very, I'm good with money, you know, yeah. it's like, it's in my family but, kind of. But during this time you weren't, I wasn't making uh, you were and you didn't get a job. So you were just kind of. Getting getting by. Yeah, off I'm of broke the whole time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I was making. You know, when I started doing like the Dr. Oz show, I got AFTRA. I think SAG AFTRA. Like, you get like a fee for that. So that did they have big... you come back after that first time? Yeah. So I I killed it, and they've they had me back so many times that I'm like, I've been like a recurring. I've been on it like more times than anybody other than Dr. Oz at this point. Wow. I mean, yeah, at That's least when I was crazy. doing it, when I was living in New York and I was doing it, all, it felt like every week I was doing it because that was a, the the topic of dementia prevention is a big topic for his audience. And it felt like it was very timely at the time, like it had just sort of come out mm-hmm. that there's all this research that, you know, suggesting like what we may. That you happen to have read all that research. That I happen yeah. to be, yeah, I'm yeah. like literally yeah. a walking meta-analysis yeah. for this topic, you know. And, uh, and I live across town. And so they would just like, they would send like the Uber over and pick me up. And it felt Uber like- Uber black or just regular Uber? It was an Uber black. Nice. It was Uber black. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and it just felt like, it felt like for a period I was on it every week, you know, um, talking about this stuff. Yeah. And that led to a book deal. Uh, very small, you know, very small book deal. But still exciting. Still exciting. But I like knew that it was, you know, that like that Hamilton sh- song, like, you know, I'm not going to waste my shot or whatever the lyric is. Like, I knew that it was my shot, that that was my shot. The book deal. The book deal. Yeah. Have, you, and how many books do you have now? Or is still the one or do you, you have I've more, written, right? I've written two and I've got like a, th- a th- number three. Three on the, on the way. Okay. Yeah. So I'm curious about this. So when you get a book deal, mm-hmm. if that book flops, you're not getting another book deal anytime soon. Right. Unless you're like get really famous or something something yeah, yeah, yeah um which you have gotten more credibility and more fame since that first book i imagine but um that first book deal i'm sure you took it really seriously and you're like i want this book to succeed and di- did it succeed that first one yeah so i took it very seriously um i was so you, like you put out a great book but what about what was the book on so the book was called the book was called Genius Foods, and it was basically uh, everything that I had learned up up until that point, like everything. It was it was a thick book, and I was like, I'm not I'm not going to get a second chance to write another book. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to put everything that I've learned. And it wasn't really like I wasn't thinking long term about like establishing my you know myself and making a lot of money or like having a big career. You just want to put out a great book. I just want to put out a great book. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, when you look at books today, if you, if you peruse the, you know, the diet and health section of the, of the local bookstore, like a lot of those books are kind of like marketing plays to sell courses, um, supplements and things like that. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. just the reality of like this. That wasn't the case for me in my book. I didn't have a a real informative. Yeah. Yeah. I was like dedicated to learning as much as I possibly could talking to the experts, reading the research, understanding the research, digesting it, putting it out into a way that was like compelling. And so was this book, did it touch a lot about dementia and that sort of thing or just general health of everything? I mean, it's very broad, but it also is the best sort of nutritional care manual that there is for the human brain. So it's the ultimate guide to dementia prevention, but it also um, is sort of an homage to this this new topic where there's a, a, a strong you know 
uh, well, I should say there, there's a, a growing body of evidence that is sort of being called nutritional psychiatry, which looks at how food affects mood and our ability to focus and pay attention. So for people with like ADD, ADHD, yeah, I mean, I think many of us in the entrepreneur space. I almost don't believe in ADD, but I also don't know what the fuck I'm talking about at all. But ever since I was a kid, I never got good grades like you. And my parents, my mom's a lawyer, dad's a doctor. They've been like, hmm, he should be smart like us. Why isn't he getting good grades? So I think they kind of push. If you go to a doctor and you say, hey, I think my kid has ADD, the doctor will be like, yeah, your kid has ADD. I feel like. Yeah. I just think it's so overdiagnosed. So, so, it is. So, yeah, I've, to, I've been told I have ADD, and maybe I do, but I also feel like ADD is kind of bullshit. Like, maybe it's just I like paying attention to what I pay attention to. Yeah, I, I see. So, And this is, I talk about this in Genius Foods. The ADD brain, you know, somebody with ADD today would have been the ultimate hunter-gatherer. You know, and the ADD brain today is somebody, you know, we, we suffer under the constraints of specialization because we've, you know, Post the post-industrial world, you know, the we went from being hunter-gatherers to being settlers. Where, you know, a, a, one of our ancestors would have had to have been self-sufficient. They would have to know how to hunt food, prepare food, clean the food, prepare the food. Um, they had to do everything. it all, yeah. everything. But then the 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 the, po the once we became settlers and started domesticating crops, then you had somebody to go out and hunt for meat. You mm -hmm. had somebody to grow the wheat. You had somebody to pick the wheat. Somebody to prepare it. So. So that sort of was the first time in human history where specialization became prized over self-sufficiency. And I think that an ADHD brain today is medicalized, right? But actually, in reality, you would have been the ultimate survivor. You would have been like the ultimate, you know, one-man band human hunter-gatherer mm -hmm. that would have been prized for that, for those characteristics. And today, but you know, it's like you just don't this. fit into the one size fits all, you know, uh, education paradigm. And so we prescribe medication to treat that, you know, problem in air quotes. But actually, if you look at um, people who are entrepreneurs, they're overwhelmingly people who have ADD, you know, and, and they end up being insanely successful. Like you don't think Elon Musk has ADD, yeah. you oh, know? He's he has to. He started so many projects. I know, got, exactly. And so do time. I, you know? Yeah. So like, so those are the... I think people with like, you know, ADD, ADHD, I think that they're probably best suited for entrepreneurship, you know, and for, and for, and, and, and suffer under the constraints of like the nine to five desk job. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree with you. So when this book came out, this, this book on brain health, mm -hmm. I guess would sum it up in two words. Did you do anything additionally? besides what the publisher did to promote it and make it a success? Because I'm sure there's tons of great books out there that no one buys, but people did buy this book. So did you think to yourself, I got to make this thing sell so I get another book or so that I can make some money? What did you do to promote it once it came out? Yeah. So Obviously, you probably promoted it on Dr. Oz because you were on there all the time. Yeah, but. I promoted it on Dr. Oz. I promoted the hell out of it on my growing social media account. I didn't have a podcast at the time, and I didn't have a huge social media following. Just so anybody, you know, if anybody's wondering, like, do you need to have a ton of followers to get a book deal? I did not have a ton of followers. I was, I was on the Dr. Oz show at that point pretty regularly, but... There's no guarantee that I, you know, that that I was going to go on and be able to promote my book on the Dr. Oz sure. show. You know, like you don't have those kinds of guarantees. Right, Dr. Oz, you weren't, uh, you weren't actually, on you didn't have a job for Dr. Right. Oz. It was right. just when they called you, you, yeah. you would do it. Yeah, um, I didn't have a huge social media account, and um, I, I've always been a good networker, so I always had a pretty good network. Um, you know, networking is is important. Yeah, especially in 
entertainment. In, in or, entertainment, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, no, one, I mean, one thing that I did was I. So I, I, when I say say that I got like a small book deal, you know, when you get a book deal, typically you get what's called an an advance. And those numbers range, you know. But for a first-time author, you get a pretty small advance. Yeah. Um, although for me, not really making any money at the time, it was an amazing sum of money, yeah. you know. Like, uh, and I was so I was so happy to have gotten it after all this time. Like, you know, somebody's going to pay me to like write this book. Uh, but as grateful as I was to actually have that money in my bank account. I knew again that this was my shot, and that the world really needed to like read this book. That the that the world needed this book, and that that it would be a shame if like nobody read it. Mm-hmm. You know, because I had worked so hard on it, and I thought that it was so good, and that there was like nothing else like yeah, it. Yeah, you had a real passion for it. it wasn't real just, passion. Hey, there's a book I did for a check. This yeah, was, yeah, didn't you do it for the hard check. On it. Yeah. Worked really hard yeah. on it, and I and I knew deep down, and I still believe this that it can change people's lives in a profound way. It's not fluff. It's not bullshit. It's like sure. it's like real legit science, and it's also a, a good read. It's entertaining. So I took uh, approximately half of that advance, um, and I invested it in PR. Right. When really that should be the publishing company. Yeah. But you're like, I'm gonna make sure. I'm gonna make sure. I'm just yeah. gonna like, I'm gonna kick myself if I don't do that. So what P- did you you hired a publicist or what? What when you say you put it in PR? What was the thing? All right. You yeah. started your own Google ads? What, uh, no, what I, hired a, I, hired, I hired a PR company mm-hmm. um, that had worked with other books. Um, and, you know, they did like, they did a, a respectable job. PR is not magic. There are no sure. guarantees. And they, you know, they're working with a bunch of different clients at the same right. time. But, you know, I think... But you were I, happy with what they did. I was happy with what they did. And I also um, made it very easy for them by packaging the story, you know, because stories sell, facts tell, stories sell. So you want, always want to make sure that you have like your story down. Um, and it was a collaboration ultimately, you know. I mean, I have a lot of PR contacts, especially having worked here for six years. I had a lot of like contacts that were gathering dust. But back, you know, back then when I knew that I had a book coming out, I reached out to anybody who I knew still could, might have had Yeah, pull. might be able to help you. And you're yeah. like, hey, here's what I'm doing. If you could help, cool. Yeah. And I took a big risk on PR because, again, there are no guarantees. And I and I was broke at the time. I really, like, loved having that money. But I yeah, was like yeah. – and I didn't know that the book was going to be a success. Mm-hmm. So – but despite that, I was like, I'm going to take half of what I just got. Got to go for it. Got to go for it. Yeah. yeah. And PR is expensive. So – Yeah. Thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. That's huge cool. risk. Huge risk. No, it's a cool there were story. No, there were no guarantees. And, uh, you know, also, like, I'm not a medical doctor. So is anybody going to care what a guy like me, you know, like – Yeah. A, I'm just uh, – I'm to super into about this. Yeah. So, me, I have pretty good genes. My parents are, are we're all, we're a skinny family. I uh, played a lot of sports growing up. Now I basically just hike a little bit, do push ups here and there. Probably have high cholesterol. I've never been tested for it, but my brother does and my dad mm. does. I eat a lot of junk food. Probably, I'm, I know that I'm not, I'm always tired. I'm not doing it right. Your advice, from social media, maybe you can give me more specific advice hmm. on your social media. From my perspective, it's not um, – you're not saying crazy things that mo- – you're saying things that most people kind of know deep down. Yeah. Like, hey, eat clean foods. Uh, eat healthy foods. Don't eat fried shit. Don't eat too much dairy. You know, be eat healthy is essentially the main gist of some of your Instagram posts that I get. Um so what would be your advice for someone like me to, to Well, you know, I'm a, 
I'm a big fan of whole foods, not the supermarket, but the, you know, just the concept of minimally processed foods. Uh, so when you say you eat a lot of junk food, junk food is basically I eat fast food, fast pizza, food, yeah, fry, I eat, you name it. If it's bad for candy, ice cream, if it's bad for you, I love it. Yeah. So ultra processed food that um, typically brings together under one roof fat, salt, sugar, wheat. Oh, my favorite. It's delectable. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's what food scientists refer to as hyper palatable. It's like food that's very difficult to moderate your consumption of. Um, it's a drug. It's totally a drug. Yeah. It's totally I get a drug. cravings for it. It's addictive. It's addictive. Yeah. It's in fact. They did a study in 2018 where they found that when people were given only access to these kinds of foods, that they tend to eat themselves into a calorie surplus um, to the same degree of satiety as they would if they were eating minimally processed foods where they would actually end up at a calorie deficit. So what that basically means is that by the time you're satisfied when eating these ultra processed foods, you've already eaten too much. Right. You know, and we all want to eat until we're satisfied. Right. Right. Like, yeah, if you know, when I'm eating something, I know, hey, if I just stopped eating right now and waited 30 minutes for the food to digest a little bit, I'll be fine. Yeah. But in that moment, you're like, mm, but man, if I could finish this. Well, I think, I, th good. I think it's, you know, it's, it's good. It's okay to eat sometimes. Like there's nothing, you know, no, no one meal is going to affect your health in any way, positive or negative. Mm -hmm. It's about the dietary pattern as a whole. Right. So if you're saying that you're, you eat tons of junk food. Probably about 50% junk. 50%. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say that you probably want to like, you know, cut that down a little bit and maybe, you know, try to abide by like an 80, 20 split mm -hmm. or even 90, 10. Yeah. Um, you know, on ultra processed foods, junk foods, they tend to have a lot of really unhealthy oils in them, um, like soybean oil, canola oil, corn oil, fats, you know, fats like that, very highly refined and prone to oxidation and other forms of chemical damage. Um, and the brain is made up of fat by and large. So if you're eating rancid damaged fats, <laughs> that is going to basically damage the structure of the brain. I mean, not in a way that is, um, you know, imminently like observable and, and noticeable. But over time. But over time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and sugar, you know, is not a good thing. It's just, you know, taken up. If it's not good, why does it taste so good though? Well, because from How an evolution. defend that argument? It takes, because some of the best why things is... in life just, you know, it's like if the best things in life, you know, always felt good, uh, then, you know. Life would probably be like, it would probably look a lot different. But sometimes, you know, the things that we think that we love aren't necessarily the best for us, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately. I like that on your social media. I mean, it's really, to someone who doesn't know about anything, it's kind of harmless posts that just are logical and make sense. But there's little... You're kind of controversial in the health world. Like mm -hmm. you, you love meat, mm -hmm. and, you're not, and you're not saying, "Hey, we should all eat only meat." But yeah. you're saying, "Hey, meat's good," and if you're a vegan, that's fine. But it's not the healthiest diet you can have. The healthiest diet includes some meat. Yeah, is basically what you're saying. Yeah, and it's funny. And people go crazy. Yeah, and I'm glad that you noticed that. I'm not like saying eat all meat all the time, but it's just no. Like, you're not like I love meat. I'm not, yeah. if you're a vegan pussy, get out of here. You're just saying, hey, do your, do what you want. But if you want the healthiest diet you'd have, you should incorporate some meat. Well, because there's this concept of like zealotry in nutrition and vegan zealotry is among the most sort of pervasive, you know, where what, they make What these, does that mean, zealotry? It means sort of like you have this diet that you very deeply identify with. Oh, yeah. So so they're very, they're, it's my way or the highway. Right. Yeah, right, they're right. proud of it. And yeah. they want to like evangelize it and convert other people because it's a part of their identity. You know, they want right. to convert them. 
to that to to that cult essentially. Um, and people people become vegan for different reasons, you know. And there are certain reasons that um, I don't touch because you know, for example, like people who are ethical vegans. Um, you don't, I'm not, I'm not for saying, I'm not twisting anybody's arm to eat anything. Like you don't, you eat the way that you want. Yeah. You're just saying yeah. from the research I've done, this is the healthiest. Yeah. Like for me, I identify as a vegetarian mm -hmm. because I would never want to harm an animal. That being said, I do eat meat. Yeah. But to my core, I tell people. So you're a vegetarian I'm who eats meat. Yeah. I'm a vegetarian who eats meat. Got I identify as a vegetarian. I don't know if that's the right word for it or if that makes sense. You can identify as anything. But yeah, these days. I see people identifying as a lot of things, so I I identify as a vegetarian. I appreciate that, but I love cheeseburgers and chicken sand fried chicken sandwiches. Yeah, so where, where I sort of step in is when they make health claims, which they love to do. You know that meat is unhealthy. That you know the fat in meat clogs your arteries. That mm -hmm. you know eggs are unhealthy and things like that. Um, and the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because my mom was essentially a vegetarian. And I'll never know if meat, you know, and I, I've never claimed that her not her abstention from meat was the cause of her her health problems. Um, but I do think that if she were to have had a more balanced diet that was inclusive of meat, um, that she would have, you know, it's my it's my hypothesis that I will never be able to test, you know. Right. But like, but I do believe that you know, if she had had a more sort of balanced diet where she ate more protein and less processed, you know carbs, you know, wheat-based carbs that she thought were good for her because they have, you know, they tend to have like the red heart healthy logo on products mm -hmm. made with them. Um, that she would have been... See, I consider my mom to be a little bit of a, I'd call her a batshit crazy. Mm. And she's a vegetarian. Mm. I, again, can't prove anything, but would me maybe stabilize her a little bit? You never know. Well, there Could is... only a... help with her. I'll say that. Can't I get any so. worse. There's a, a center in Australia uh, called the Food and Mood Center at Deakin University. And what they're finding is that um, people, women in particular, who avoid meat have, uh, I believe, a double, like a twofold risk, increased risk for uh, major mood disorders. Um, I think specifically depression. But, uh, but there, is, there is actually a correlation between people who um, are vegan and uh, mental health problems. And it could be because, you know, people who are very, who are very neurotic and tend to be perfectionists about their diet tend to gravitate towards a diet like that, like a very strict diet. So it's not necessarily, we don't yet know if it's the veganism that is. Or if, yeah, or if that's just, it gravitate, it right. pulls those people into that world. Yeah. Although we do know that, you know, uh, like the vegan diet is a diet that is devoid of a, of vitamin B12, which is not an insignificant piece of information. You know, that's a very important nutrient for the brain. Um, and of course you can supplement with that, but I just think that that's like something that is not, you know, people like to like sweep that under the rug, you know, oh, you can supplement with it, which is a very privileged thing to say. Like, thank God we have supplements, right? Right. But, um, but you shouldn't have a diet where it's creating deficiencies. You are dependent upon supplements. hundred percent. Um, now you, you told me maybe 80, 20, 90, 10. You are you on 90, 10, 95, 5? What what's your health to unhealthy? How often do you treat yourself to a in and out? Uh, it varies. I would say that I'm about 80, 20. I don't really eat in and out. Although last night I did have a high ho burger, which is grass fed. Oh yeah, yeah, um, very good. But I but even then I eat it with uh, a lettuce wrap. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I always, so tr- when you do treat yourself, you don't go full, you never go off the rails and you're like, tonight I'm having a large pizza right. and a scoop of ice and, you know, a pint of ice cream. Yeah. You I never ne- do that. No, I never go completely off the rails. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe like once in a blue moon, like, like once, your birthday, once, not even then. I mean, but like <laughs> once every, once every, yeah, maybe like two years, you know, something like, what do you think triggers it? Like a bad day? What, what? No. Not a bad day. Are you ever having a bad day? And you're like, man, I'm just, fuck it. I'm having a candy bar. If I, it's just, I mean, there's this, uh, there's this quote that I heard once and it's, it's so funny being like uh, a health author and then quoting, uh, her, but Kate Moss once said, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. <laughs> I don't like that quote necessarily because skinny but is it, not but a again, goal. But what she's saying is being healthy is yes. feels way better than a delicious exactly than a momentary you yeah. know bout of mouth pleasure. So I would actually mm-hmm. I've paraphrased her and I say mm-hmm. and I, I like to say that nothing tastes as good as healthy feels. Right. You know, like if I'm gonna feel like shit afterwards, um, not worth it. Then it's not worth it to me. Yeah. Yeah, it seems pretty reasonable. Quoting That's Kate Moss fair. here on the on the podcast. <laughs> Smart woman. She. Uh, I don't know. Who, uh, is she an who actress? Knows? Who's uh, Kate Moss? She was a very famous model. Model. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the back in the day. Hey, some models are smart. Most are probably big dum dums that rely on their beautiful on their beauty, but yeah. I bet some of them are uh, very smart. Maybe Kate Moss was one of them. I don't know. Some are, I'm sure, very smart. Yeah. yeah, you never you never know. Everybody's different. So you're on. So you you are eighty twenty, which isn't crazy. Yeah, that means one out of every five meals isn't gonna be is gonna be delicious. It's gonna be something that like uh, lettuce wrap burger. That's like that falls probably outside of what I publicly preach. But I'm I don't I don't claim to be perfect. No, no, no. But like, no, I've heard you say 80 or 80, yeah. 20 or 90 or whatever. Yeah, like I'll eat, meat. like I'll just go to town on, I made like, you know, some gluten-free like rice pasta the other night and I bought this like pad thai sauce that had, uh, has like a little bit of like canola oil in it. Like it's later on in the ingredient list. So mm-hmm. ingredient lists are organized in a hierarchy of like most, most prevalent to least. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty, you know, I don't consume canola oil generally. I don't buy it for my house. I, I, I actively try to avoid it, but it was in this sauce that my brother bought and it was in my house and I, you know, I love pad thai. So I like tossed it and I just like went to town on it. It was really good. But Now, how do you manage overeating? Uh, or is that uh, hard for you? Like, how do you know if you make a big thing of food, it's not like, really, I'm eating this amount and then I'm done? It's not a huge problem. Like, if you, I mean, certainly you can overeat, right? Like, sure. so, like sometimes I'll overeat and I feel like shit. Because I've seen fat vegans, for example. Yeah, of course. Or fat because they, they're like, oh, I'm healthy, I'm a vegan, and then they just eat quadruple it's, the amount they should. I tend to, and this is one of the major dietary tips that I put forward in, in my latest book, The Genius Life. If you prioritize protein, it's very difficult to overeat. I mean, you'll feel as though you've eaten a lot. You'll feel full, but you actually haven't technically overeaten. And I think what people mean generally when they say, when they use the term overeat, is they've consumed more calories than they than they expect to burn over the course of a day. Right. So you might feel kind of crummy afterwards, but if you're eating to satiety and it's largely going to be protein, you really have nothing to worry about. And that is how I eat generally. Like I, I, I eat as much meat as I want, you know, so that I feel full. And then I kind of like fill in the gaps with, you know. Health healthy vegetables or like that pasta or or something like that. Yeah. But, but generally like by the time I'm satiated and I'm full, uh, you know, like I feel good. I might even feel as though I've overeaten, but I haven't actually over overeaten. What about, uh, vitamins and stuff? Do you take any supplements or vitamins or do you just try to incorporate it all within 
foods. With food. I do take some supplements. I take like a good fish oil. I take magnesium. Magnesium is pretty hard to find. Um, or it's it's not hard to find. You can, you know, a lot of foods have magnesium, but it's a magnesium is like a super important, it's almost like an anti-aging mineral. Um, you know, I think we need, uh, I f- like I haven't looked in a while, but you need about 400, 300 to 400 milligrams of it every single day. And just wow. like getting that from food um, is, is, hard. is hard. And it's involved in hundreds of uh, biochemical processes in the body that range from like energy creation to repairing DNA damage. So, so are you pretty religious about that? Do you wake up, you have a routine, you wake up, you take your magnesium pill? I, I generally will take it like sometime midday when I have food in my stomach because some, some vitamins... They uh, don't, yeah, they make you feel a little weird well, if you don't have any. Certain vitamins, so cert, there are a handful of fat-soluble vitamins, A, E, D, and K are fat-soluble, so you want to take those if you're, if you're taking them. I take vitamin D and vitamin K uh, with food. Um, but then also certain um, non-vitamin compounds like carotenoids, like uh, um, I take a compound called astaxanthin, which is a, a pigment found in marine animals like wild salmon. It's what gives wild salmon its like characteristic rich red color. Uh, very good for your skin, for your eyes, for your brain. That's Those are also fat-soluble. So so generally, if I'm taking like a handful of supplements, I'm going to do it like with food in my stomach so that I'm not leaving, I'm not peeing anything out, you know, or leaving anything to, to chance. And what are your thoughts on these supplements? Like, uh, what's the one, what's Joe Rogan's company called? Uh, oh, On It? On It. Like, what are these type of companies, are these g- kind of just these same things that they've put wrapped in a company so they're good or are a lot of these companies putting out you know there's tons on amazon like brain like help brain activity and stuff like that would you say the average company that's making a product like that even if it's from china a lot of the times would you say they are they are good and they're kind of just taking a lot of these vitamins and things that are good and putting them into a product or a lot of them just bogus or both or I mean, I, th- I think the claims sometimes can be bogus, but generally, like a, a, a company like On It, you know, I would trust what they're putting in their products to be good for you rather than yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't take. I mean, On It, I think is most known for like Alpha Brain, which is right. a uh, a nootropic supplement. Which I don't. I'm not a big believer in those kinds of supplements. Um, you know, what I've always said is food is the best nootropic. You know, if you're eating a shitty diet, your brain's not going to work the way that it ought to, mm-hmm. you know? So I'd much rather optimize my diet and my lifestyle than try to put a Band-Aid over that with a with a supplement. But um, more sort of basic supplements like um, protein powders, I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know. I was going to ask you, so like for me, when I want to be healthy, mm-hmm. I'll take a protein shake with my breakfast so that I feel full and I don't eat more food. So I'll take like a, uh, what's the big juice company? Uh, naked, like a naked protein shake. Naked, kind like of, the pre- the bottled ones? Those yeah. are like loaded with sugar. Yeah, so those, are, yeah. So those are bad. Yeah, I would That's avoid like that. That's like dessert. So I yeah. should not take the a best, naked. One of the best. They'll have like 30, a vanilla naked protein shake will have like 30 grams of protein, it says on the cover. Yeah, I would skip the naked because it probably has like 50 grams of sugar in it. Yeah, it tastes like a milkshake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I would just buy, it's very inexpensive these days, like a jug of protein, like whey protein, and just Mm -hmm. keep it in your house and use that. But then it tastes like garbage. No, they have like like vanilla flavored, you know, chocolate or vanilla flavored. Um, I tend to go for vanilla, uh, but they all, they taste great. So how many calories, if, if you saw a drink that had, 400 calories, that's too much. Like, what's a, what's a calorie number? We're like, okay, that's reasonable. 
You yeah. can have a protein shake with 100 calories. You know, what's like an appropriate amount of calories where you'd be? Like, I would say like you're allowed to have that. I would say like 200. Like 200. If, a, if a beverage has like more than 200 calories, I probably wouldn't. Got it. So 200 and under, you'd be okay with. But it depends. Like, are we talking 200 calories of protein? Then yeah, I'm I'm game. Okay. But if so it's like if 200 it was, calories of like mostly a, sugar, a no. green tea that was 200 calories, you'd say that's too many. That's way too many because if it's just green tea, I'm assuming that those calories are but be it, from they sugar. probably put yeah they put something in to make it a little taste yeah taste generally better. you don't want to drink your calories it's just not a smart strategy because you know anything that you drink with the exception of a protein shake is like you don't get any satiety benefit from from drinking sugar for example mm. um, but it cuts into your daily calorie budget and there's no biological need for that right um, and so if it's non-protein now you're saying got to be under 100 or under 50 what would be well if it's not protein yeah i for just you. i for just yeah for me i try not to drink any like calories so even 50 you'd be like no nah, what's the yeah, point yeah i probably yeah. wouldn't drink that i mean that's like when was the last time you had a uh, mexican coke well think about think about it this way so 50 so we'll just say 40 cuz uh -huh. it's going to be easier to do the math but okay. uh sugar has 4 calories per gram so if you have a 40 calorie drink then that's going to be 10 grams of sugar in it that's like and if you and if you really want to visualize it uh, one teaspoon of sugar is four grams. So you're basically consuming two and a half, yeah, two and a half teaspoons of pure sugar. Like just picture putting those teaspoons of sugar in your mouth. You don't, like nobody needs that. Right. Um, and, you know, now if you're if you're a bodybuilder and you're, you're going to burn it all away. You're going to burn it, that all yeah, away. Like yeah, like Michael, if you're Michael Phelps, Right. I heard that guy just ate whatever he wanted because he worked out 10 yeah, hours a day. Yeah, because they're, they're just like a furnace for yeah. like these calories, right? They're like then walking it furnaces. Then it doesn't yeah. matter. But like for you or I, like, mm -hmm. no, I mean, I'm largely sedentary. Like I have to schedule my workouts. What do you I, work out an hour a day? I, tr I mean, I try to work out. I don't work out every day, but I try to work out. Like I try to have like a good hour workout session three to four days a week. And then like on days that I'm not working on, I just try to walk around as much as I can. It's hard to do in a So life. yeah, pretty normal amount of exercise. Nothing, definitely not Yeah, not crazy. extreme. Definitely not extreme. There's some, there's some helpful stuff here. I feel so, like... Oh, we, but when was the last time you had a Mexican Coke? That's what I want to know. I don't think I've ever had a Mexican Coke. Not once? I haven't had a real soda in... More in probably fifteen years, maybe wow. twenty, twenty years. Yeah, I want to just, I want to make a video of just forcing you to eat bad shit. Just and bad shit. It, I feel like your followers would love it <laughs> today because you're so healthy. Just be like, today I'm gonna, I'm gonna drink this Mexican Coke and eat a pint of ice cream and see what happens. I mean, look, if I was like that religious about it, I would be shredded and I would be, I would look like a. I'm not. I'm like, I, I think I look like a normal guy. I just like, you know, I think it's. I, I don't want to have to obsess too much. You know, right. I don't want to have no, to like, you work out all the yeah, time. Yeah, you're not you know? crazy obsessive. Yeah. You're, you're reasonable. Reasonably, yeah. reasonably obsessed. Do you have anything in your life that you need help with that I could help you with? Oh, man. You're a health expert. You got a big following. You got a popular podcast. I do need a Everyone's got problems, dude. I, yeah, I feel like I could use a, use a therapist. Um, I, what do I want to solve? I feel like I would like to solve like some lingering like relationship stuff you know with with past relationships yeah at least in my own head to reconcile like you want to reach ends. out to them and just be like hey are you saying you ghosted chicks like what's the what what's uh, the issue you have with these loose ends i have ghosted in the past and i'm not proud of it and i want to kind of like figure out the part of me that is content to ghost somebody it's i think everyone who ghosts it's the same reason same they're reason. just 
it's easier to ghost than it is to kind of hurt someone yeah. because rejecting someone, you have to face the fact, hey, I'm I'm about to let this person down. Hmm. So you're like, yeah, it's easier to just kind of ghost them. They don't have to like feel their their pain. I know. So it's a little, it's selfish in a sense, but everyone's or I've ghosted. Everyone's been, I've been ghosted. I've ghosted. It's yeah, it's shitty. I think when I turned thirty, I made a rule that I wouldn't ghost any people anymore. Wow. But I still kind of do. I found like you find yeah. ways around it where I'm like, I don't ignore people anymore, and I'm not just gonna leave them on red for ten texts in a row. But still, actually going to someone and say, "Hey, um, I really liked hanging out with you, but I think we should just be friends or whatever it is." It's a yeah. it's a hard text to do. It is a hard text. I dated a girl who. Um, I had been friends with for a long time and we both kind of had like mutual phone calls even harder. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the hardest. Um, there was a girl who I dated during quarantine for a couple months and we, we were friends for a while and we both kind of had mutual crushes on one another, but I thought that she'd put me in the friend zone over the years. She thought that I'd put her in the friend zone. So we just like never hooked up, but it was like one of those weird quarantine things where it happened. It just happened. Quarantine love. Yeah. Quarantine love. And, um, and we knew, or at least I knew pretty soon after we started dating that it wasn't like the fit for the long term mm-hmm. but we still like each i think got a lot out of the relationship you know and just in terms of like personal growth she was a very smart emotionally evolved woman and you got that curiosity out of the way if got you both the, had a crush on each other for a long time yeah. okay well now we know yeah yeah it was great um but one of the one of the best things about her is that when uh <laughs> when when it ended she was the one even though we we both felt that it was not appropriate for the long term that uh-huh. we weren't that we weren't the right fit but she was the one who sent me this very long beautiful well thought out t- you could tell that she had like written drafts of it you know uh-huh. like that kind of text yeah you know gently like do you think she's recycled that do you think she sent that same text with like take the, your name out and put someone else's name in in her life maybe do you think it was made just for oh, you jesus i think <laughs> I, I have a feeling that would be really funny i think it was made for me and uh, at least that's what I want to tell myself. <laughs> no, I think it was too. And um, but yeah, I was like very impressed, and it was almost so as you know so good that I kind of wanted to copy it. And <laughs> you literally, it on, yeah. yeah, you take it and you, <laughs> take you it. switch the names out yeah. and make it your own. Hundred percent. Yeah, that'd be pretty. That's a good idea. Did now, be, even though you felt the same way and you wanted the relationship to end, um, did you feel slightly rejected? And you're like, well. Why don't we give it another shot because you got rejected? No, I, I felt relieved because I am not man enough to, you know, that's what I want to work on. I, want, I you know, I, I wouldn't have written that kind of message. I probably would have um, sent sent a message, but I, f- I remember feeling at the time this uh, inclination to distance myself, uh, you know, which could, which could be interpreted as sort of like a ghost. Right. No, I feel and the she same way about myself. That, you know? I need it's something even though I don't technically ghost people anymore, I definitely need to be better about rejecting women because I'll convince myself in my head, well maybe I'll reach out to her again in two weeks, but I know that I won't. Yeah. Or or I'll say it or I'll do it this way. I'll say, hey I'm I'm leaving town for a month hmm. and kind of end it that way. You know? Yeah. So we're probably not gonna be able to see each other for a while I'm leaving. But it's not real. Or yeah. even if I am leaving, that's not I need to just be like, hey, I really like you, but I don't think we're going to work out in the long long run, so let's... 
That's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. I would have probably sent her a message, but I just she just she beat me to it, and it was just a really beautiful. She's beautiful a man, and she's she's the man. She's um, she actually recommended some really good books for me to read too. Like she was like she definitely like on this same subject on the subject of like male personal growth relationship growth, like whatever. I don't but, know what the term, but is, she but. did it in a way where it's like, hey. Because, uh, because to me, when you say that, she recommended books that basically saying I need to work on myself and I'm a piece of shit. She pretty uh, much, yeah, she pretty but much she did like, it in a nice way. She was like, like, yeah, I mean, she said like, Max, you're, you know, you've got like, you're, you've got walls. Like, it's hard, you're hard to read sometimes. Like, you should, you should learn about being more vulnerable or something like that. And I'm like, in my head, I'm, I think I'm a vulnerable guy. Like, I would, I would describe myself as a vulnerable person. I'm, I put my life out there. You know, I'm very sensitive. I know that I am very empathetic. I care about people. But that's not, I guess, what it means to be vulnerable as a man. And that's what I've, like... Was being vulnerable, watching the notebook and crying? I think it means, like, sending the text messages like you're talking about mm -hmm. doing. Like, being okay with being rejected. And, you know, like, it's, it's not vulnerable to ghost somebody. It's the opposite of, of right. being vulnerable. It's vulnerable to send the text message like you've been doing. And so that's all part of it. It's like it's like learning what it means to be vulnerable as a as a as a man. And that's something that like I don't know. I don't I didn't I guess I didn't really have any like really positive male role models growing up. Like my my role model was like my mom, but um but my mom and my dad didn't have a very good relationship. So, you know, it's sort of like been a process of unraveling all this stuff. And also like I, for a long time, had a, a very long-term, like, on-and-off-again girlfriend, and I was never able to, able, to, able to make it work, even though I loved her very much, you know, so. What would be your perfect, uh, if you, four qualities in a woman requirement to be your girlfriend? Because I, I feel like you're a heartthrob. I don't know this about you, <laughs> but I feel like half of your Instagram followers want to be your girlfriend. Hmm. I could be wrong about that, but I feel like... It's always the ones that want you, you don't want, and the ones that you want don't want you, at least in my life. It's like, always. I have, like, people are like, oh, come on, you do well with the girls. And I'm like, yeah, there's girls that like me, but that <laughs> yeah. does, but. Yeah, can can relate to that. Um, so what are four qualities? For me, it's Why do you pick four, by the way? Why four? Because for me, it's four. It's so four, it's okay. just my own selfishness. All right, you go first. Okay, so for me, to give you an example, it, they got to be hot. And some people would say, oh, you're... You're a bad guy. Like you shouldn't care about looks. Everyone cares about looks. Or ninety nine percent of people care about looks. It's not. It's not. That's just normal. Admit it to yourself. Or Normalize. Don't, but I care about looks. Caring about looks. Yeah. So look. Not just looks. They can't just be hot. But right. They got to be hot. Yeah. Smart. No dum dums. If I'm around someone where I'm just like uh, roll my eyes whenever they say a, a sentence. Mm -hmm. Can't be around that. Uh, kind. Kind hearted. If they're if they're mean to people. If they're mean to waiters. If they're mean to the people in their life or don't care about them, I think that's a red flag of something that they'll be mean to you. And then uh, sense of humor. Sense of humor. Yeah. I mean, what else is there? You kind of described the perfect woman right there. That's a perfect woman, yeah. I mean... But it's only four things. Yeah. There are only four qualities. Yeah. But those are the ones I require. I would... I mean, I don't know. Any, just like, anyone you want to add to that? I mean, I would say like... You could say same here, but... No, I mean, hot is definitely important. Well... I would say like values, values health, you know, like if, uh, if she doesn't like respect her body enough to like, you know, cause some girls are just Even like, if she's hot, what if she eats pizza three and smokes weed no, all day, even, but she's hot and e smart. I don't care. Funny. Like you can't just like look hot. You gotta like, <laughs> I gotta know that like internally, you so know. So if like, I was a chick, you could not date me. <laughs> I would, you know, I'm not, uh, what if she was willing, she was like, listen, I'll be honest with you. I eat fast food every day, but I agree. It's something I should work on and like. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll work on it with you. Well, I love when girls have a healthy relationship with food, you know, like meaning that they feel no guilt about their indulgences, you know, mm. and, that, and that they love like a good steak or like, you know, like I don't like girls who are rigid about their dietary choices. And I've dated, I think, a girl that had, that definitely rigid. had like an eating, you know, disorder uh -huh. in the past. And um, yeah. And so I really like when a girl has a healthy relationship with food. Um, but I, I want them to, I, I do believe that like, uh, you know, eating well is a form of self-respect in a way. And if a girl is putting like just cheeseburgers and fries and soda into their into their body, to me that says something that there's a problem there. And I could be wrong, but uh, for me, like, you know, the same way that when I'm like the food quality, like I feel very proud. I feel a sense of pride bringing the best quality food that I can afford into my house. That whenever I have, you know, a date over or my family over or friends over that I'm giving them the best quality food that I can afford. Like I feel a, an incredible sense of pride about that. You know, um, it's a gift for me to the people that I care about in my life. And I kind of feel like that, you know, like that's how I treat myself. That's how I treat others. It's a, re it's a reflection of how I feel about myself, how I treat you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of feel like you're a very hospitable man. Yeah. Well, I want to. I want to see the same level of like you know, like the same type of respect, you know, in uh, in like a girl that I'm with to herself. Um, and so, yeah. I mean, that's not to okay. say that they, that they so you'd can take, indulge or anything like that, or that they're obsessed or you know, it's mm -hmm. not. But just like a so, basically, you take my list and you would add healthy lifestyle. Yeah. To it. Also, probably yeah. like patience. I think is a virtue. Um, you know. I'm not like I don't feel, I don't do well around people who are like anxious. Uh, so you know, being whatever the opposite of just you know, being chill. I think. Chill, that's yeah, good, yeah, that's, that's a, a good one. Yeah, that's a good virtue. Chill's important if they're stressed out all the time. Yeah, that stress could leak onto you. Yeah, have some passions. I think that's important. Like if a girl is just content to sit on the couch all day watching, you know, binge watching old Netflix shows, I'm not going to find that. So you're not you're you're not uh, just Netflix and chill kind of guy. You like to go out and do stuff too. You want to go. You want to go out on dates, yeah, travel, yeah. little I mean, adventures. Not like you over the sometimes. Top. I love to and chill, chill too, but yeah, like, but not all the time. Yeah, I mean, and it's not. This is not a success thing. Like, you want to go to the zoo sometimes. I just want to go to the zoo sometimes. <laughs> yeah. No, but she's got to have not a success thing, but she's got to have goals. Uh, you know, something just something that she's like, you know, like it could even be it could be. F fashion it could be something i'm not at all passionate about but just right. something just something other than like you know. i used to, i agree with that i used to like girls or I would say i don't care if she works at taco bell that's that's her deal i don't care but now i'm like nah it's it's hot it's attractive if she has a passion and a goal if she, if she has talent even chicks who are uh chicks i don't know is it demeaning to call girls chicks now women who have a uh a talent is really attractive to me mm. like if, if if i see a girl and she's like a you know, has an amazing voice and sings or plays an instrument incredibly well. I find that to be really attractive too. Yeah. Just the fact that they took time to to master that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Talent. Some kind of some kind of talent. Okay, final question before we go. Thanks for doing the interview, by the way. This is a you're a very good speaker. I know Dang, you have a podcast, likewise, but likewise. you have you have a very good uh I don't know, mind to talk about yourself and to talk about <laughs> stories in your life. Like it's, it's been really, uh, I've learned a lot and I think it's really engaging. But you've been in the biz, so to speak, whether that be entertainment, hosting, uh, healthy, whatever, uh, health expert, I don't even, uh, what do you call it? Health journalism. Yeah. What is the biggest failure story you have? 
So I know you had that lull of, of that gap in between the Young Turks, but has there ever been something where you're like, I think I'm about to do this thing and it just didn't work out or maybe an audition or this opportunity that was almost there that you kind of think, man, what if that happened? Oh, man. Biggest failure. Is there any, do you ever lose sleep over something? Um, man. Maybe you don't have one. No, I definitely yeah. have failures. Jesus. Or not like, it, not even necessarily a failure, just kind of a missed opportunity where you think to yourself, oh, I screwed that up. I got fired from Abercrombie once. <laughs> for what? I mean, I worked for them for like a week, freshman year of college. Oh, you got fired after one week? Yeah, like it was like a week and a half or something like that. Well, for, to give you an example, like uh, I had a friend who came in here and he like went through the whole auditioning process at Saturday Night Live. Hmm. I uh, auditioned for Lauren Michaels, got you know as far as you could go, but didn't get the job. Hmm. And in the moment, he's like, it bumped. He was obviously devastated, even though it was you know a long shot to begin with. But he's very sad that he didn't get it. But uh, in retrospect. He's happy he didn't get it because now he has his podcast and he's doing all these other things that is making him very happy. And yeah, well, I mean, I guess uh, you know, going back to the book, I what you know, not many people know this, but when I first had the idea to write a book, I was able to get a, a literary agent who believed in my story, and he thought that maybe you have a shot of of you know getting a book deal. And we actually pitched it out to four different publishers. And the first three of the four meetings were the three meetings that I took where I felt like my brain was really like on that day. You know, like sometimes, you know, you're a communicator. Sometimes you get up on stage. Yeah, like, you, you you leave the meeting going, that went great. That and went you can fucking leave meetings great. going, that was kind of weird. Yeah, 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 exactly. So the first three meetings that I, that I took, I was like, you know, my words were flowing. I felt really confident and... You know, I felt that I had like charmed the people that I was, you know, in the conference with, and uh, and all three of those um, publishers passed on my project. And then the fourth publisher that I had pitched it to, I felt like it was like I remember the meeting was at the end of the day. I had just coming come out of like an editing session, doing something um, unrelated, and uh, and I was just like kind of tired and I was also a bit let down, you know, over the previous three meetings. And I just didn't think that I did like as well. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm not going to be writing a book. And I think it was just like a few days later, I got the, uh, the email from my agent that they had offered me a deal. The one that you in your head went the worst. Yeah. The one that That's in my head went, to wor went the worst. Yeah. I mean, it didn't go bad. I didn't say something like... It went whatever, though. It just went whatever. I didn't think that I... Yeah. I thought that I had nailed the other ones and I was going to get like a book deal, yeah. you know, from the other ones. And I was like, you know, the fourth one, the, the fourth meeting, I definitely didn't think that I impressed anybody. Fourth time's a charm. Fourth time's a charm, yeah. I ended up getting <laughs> the book cool. deal and, uh, and it ended up becoming a huge hit, you know, like my book. So... That's great. Yeah. Inspirational. Thank you for... Doing the podcast, is there anything you would like to plug on here? Your own podcast? My own podcast, yeah. I have a podcast called The Genius Life, and it's all about health and wellness um, and personal development, all that good stuff. And uh, I've been very lucky to record some of the episodes at Melrose Podcast. So, yeah. You know. Yeah, he was one of our very first clients right when we opened through our mutual friend. And I don't know what she's... Do you, have you been in contact with her? What's she up to? Uh, she's... Out and about. I don't know if she's still in L.A., Taryn, yeah. Yeah. She's I mean, there's no reason to be in L.A. right now for no. most people. Taryn's wonderful, though. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to ask, Marco? 
I was just going to say to be manageable because uh, in the busy lifestyle, not now because we have COVID, but five foods that you have to eat every week. <laughs> five foods that you have to eat every week. Yeah, I mean, that's easy. I would say like eat some eggs, eat some grass-fed beef, eat some wild salmon, um, dark chocolate. That's five. Yeah. Wait, what, dark, what health benefits do uh, dark, chocolate? dark chocolate give? Well, it, I mean, first of all, it's just, it's, it's delicious. delicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But dark chocolate is a great source of magnesium. We talked about magnesium a little okay. bit. Um, and uh, a good source of copper, which not many people get too much of unless you're eating a lot of like mollusks or liver, which most people Ugh. are not eating like, and copper is, copper is a pretty important antioxidant. Um, and it's got these, what are called like uh, flavanols that have uh, proven to be really beneficial to cardiovascular health to brain health. People who habitually eat chocolate have um, better memory function. And dark chocolate. Dark chocolate, Or milk yeah. chocolate, too. No, no, no. You want to you wanna, you wanna go for dark chocolate. 72% or higher is the general so dark metric. dark chocolate, grass-fed beef, eggs. Some wild salmon. Wild salmon. What was the fifth one? Copper. Copper, no. no copper is in the dark that's chocolate. That's a mineral. Did we, did we do a fifth? We, maybe we didn't do a fifth. Dark chocolate, wild salmon, grass-fed beef, eggs. Eggs. And then we got one more to go, right? One more. One more to go. Let's say avocados. Avocados. Avocados are, are delicious. Shit. Yeah. So what about, can you supplement grass-fed beef for like chicken and turkey or no? Not the same. Not yeah, you good. could. You just, I mean, uh, there are different different sort of benefits. Um, red meat in particular is very high, although you'll also find it in, in fish, but creatine, which is a, an important nutrient for brain energy metabolism. This isn't creatine supplement. This it is. is it's natural, the same compound, but, but it's, it's found naturally in, in red meat. And oh, okay. Yeah, and certain fish. Um, red meat's a great source of vitamin E. It's a great source of, you know, omega-3 fats. It's a great source of iron and zinc and uh, choline and all kinds of other, you know, beneficial, you know, vitamin B12, you know, a myriad of beneficial um, brain-friendly nutrients. I mean, the, the research on, on red meat and brain health, it's not... Uh, it's not really the most evidence-based recommendation because when you look... And this is sort of how science works. Like when you look um, at the population as a whole, people who eat meat um, and and eat more meat tend to have uh, more unhealthy lifestyle behaviors, you know, because meat has been uh, so demonized over the past couple of decades. You find at the population level that people who eat meat, you know, they eat a lot of fast food. They smoke, they're more inclined to smoke cigarettes, things like that. It's called the healthy user bias. Mm -hmm. So... Conversely, when you look, you know, at if you were to like zoom out and look at all the vegans, right? Vegans are hyper conscious of what they're putting in their bodies, right? So in some ways it stands to reason that you might see better health in vegans, but is it the, is it because of their diets or is it in spite of their diets? Right. You know, that's always the question. And the same thing with meat. There just isn't really good evidence on like people who eat paleo style diets with super high quality meat. So, you know, from that sense, it's like, you just kind of have to assume that high quality meat, when you break it apart and you actually look at what it is and you take apart all the dogma, you know, and the conditioning that we, you know, that we associate with meat, it's actually a very healthy food. It's an incredibly nutrient dense food. 
And um, you saying this made me think of a question: Are there any health experts on the vegan side or another health side that are like your enemies or your biggest rival in the health world? Um, Do you have anyone that despises <laughs> you or that you despise that you'll publicly say or no? I don't think so. There are definitely there are definitely people that disagree with me. I don't know if any sure. of them despise me, but right, they're like definitely they disagree with you, but would still come on your podcast. Are there any that would be like, I'm not going on that guy's podcast? Oh, I'm Fuck sure. Him. No, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. There's no. There's definitely some that like. You know, the fact that I I value some foods over others, you know, some people would say that like, you know, there there are people Dark chocolate, that guy's a fucking idiot. Or he's like, <laughs> what a privileged thing to say about chocolate. You know, like there's yeah. a lot of people like that. Like you never yeah. know. There's there's food has become politicized and um and and things like that. You know, some people and also nutrition is one of these sciences where there's there's sort of the room to have a lot of different uh, a myriad of different like opinions and voices and right so, you could look up on the internet and find your your evidence for any argument you, you really want. can <laughs> yeah, yeah you really can it's mm. it's messed up you know some people take a more calorie centric approach uh there are some people who eat only meat carnivores like joe rogan did like january you know carnivore january he's eating yeah. only meat so that just doesn't even sound like just logically that doesn't sound healthy it's insane. i'm sure there's benefits to it but man that just sounds how could you argue that yeah that so you should I, only eat meat all the time i think people gravitate to me because i'm balanced and i provide sort of the best most re well thought out reasoned sort of yeah. approach to nutrition um that's the only explanation that i can think of you know that, that as to why i'm so successful because I think nutrition, like politics, like anything today, has become so extreme where there's all these different factions. You're right. Um, and even medicine itself, like doctors don't know anything about nutrition. Dietitians are, you know, their schooling is paid for by junk food companies for the most part. And that's True. not to say all dietitians are bad, right? You know, definitely not the case. But like, um, but yeah, I'm just in it because I'm a human being who who got to experience real illness. And, you know, my hope, my desire is is that what I experienced isn't in vain. And for me, the way to sort of try to ensure that it isn't is to help others, you know. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast again. Thank you. Thank you, Ari. It was great. Talk to you soon. See you guys next week. Bye. You're listening to, You're listening to unlicensed. Unlicensed. unlicensed, 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 unlicensed therapy with Ari Manis. Ari Manis.